to X-rated movies. This is a movie podcast by two guys who used to date and now they don't. I'm one of your hosts, Ryan Whedon. I'm one of your other hosts, Matthew Fisher. Matthew Fisher. Yes. This is Thanksgiving weekend. Yeah, it is. Well, week. It's a Monday. It's a Monday, yeah. Are you one of those people that like, it's my birthday month? (laughs) No. (laughs) But people try to encourage that. I get that a lot where they're like, if my birthday's coming up. People are like, oh, just start now. Start yeah. celebrating now. Yeah. I can understand, like, if you extend it to, like, the week before. Like, if your birthday's on, like, a Thursday, you can claim Tuesday, Wednesday. Sure. Like, that's fine. Sure, sure, sure. And, you know, so Thanksgiving, those of us with office jobs, like, yeah, Thursday's off, but that also kind of means Friday's off. And oh, so I that kind of just means, means, means that, off. like, the whole week is shot. Yeah. I don't know about you, Matt, but I really appreciate you um, having these toilets in your living room. <laughs> we covered them with, uh, uh, pillows and sheets when guest fest was going on so people weren't weirded out but you know usually when it's just the two of us we're on toilets but talking now i have my uh what are those things called those like horns that are like filled with like fruit and and vegetables cornucopias cornucopia yeah i I have them decorated with cornucopias for thanksgiving (laughs) there's like uh those those uh uh, knitted toilet paper covers on top with little turkeys at the top they're really cute (laughs) I have little furry mats that like cover the toilet seat mm-hmm. that have little pilgrims on them. <laughs> and, then, and then I have those like the mats that go around the basin like the, or the floor yeah. of it that, that have all sorts of turkey iconography on it's them. It's super festive in here. And <laughs> yeah. I'm, I appreciate it when I'm taking a dump. <laughs> so anyway... <laughs> I would love if somebody drew that, by the way, just a toilet with like all the frilly, yarny, carpety <laughs> stuff on it, but it's all Thanksgiving themed. Or if someone can find a picture of that on the internet, maybe it already exists. I don't know. I don't have time for that. But anyway, Thanksgiving, we talk about it a lot on this podcast. At least once a year. At least once a year. And, uh, you know, looking forward to, you know, mashed figs, fig salad. Um, figs au gratin. Uh-huh. A big glass of unsalted caramel. <laughs> You know, traditional things. Uh, Here we are getting along. Nice. We've put these feuds aside and you just got to open old wounds all of a sudden. It's in the past, Matt. The point is, what are you thankful for this year? Uh, Boy, you put me on the spot here. Um, I'm trying to make it so the, the actions of one brave young man overcomes systemic prejudices mm-hmm. uh and and i i think it's high time that people get over ageism yeah yeah i'm 34 mm-hmm. and what has my age brought me but a lot of experience and memories oh man and yeah me and katie Corrick are teaming up to combat ageism i love it <laughs> that's cute <laughs> yeah you guys could have a TV show. Oh, I'd love to have a TV show with Katie Couric. <laughs> well, she be- could advertise her uh, third wonder bras that are made for real women and not like off of like some stats sheet or something. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you could do your real men underwear. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> would, uh... For the, the uh, birthing hipped men. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Yeah. Not these muscly bubble butted <laughs> yeah. models running around. 
That's nice. That's nice. I would like to see the pilot for that show, though. Like you're you're just traveling around and and you you show up at a Walmart and you see some like manager firing a greeter or something. And, like you're not greeting enough people fast enough, Grandpa. Get out of here! And you're like, excuse me. Wow, even by Walmart manager standards, that seems really harsh. <laughs> He's got a young person coming up. He's like. Uh, uh, Milton over here can greet 35 customers in an hour. And what uh, young person's name Milton <laughs> for ho- starters? <laughs> you don't even give him a young Stan- name like Corey <laughs> or Stanley over here is, is, Stanley? is, is doing 30 uh, an hour. And that's what just, I'm just, uh, you know, I've, names can change. Uh, th- this is the pilot I'm picturing. <laughs> Millard over here can. And the way you do it, and the way you'd help old uh, Stanley or <laughs> Horace is that you would, um, you'd like come in dressed one way, and then Katie would come in dressed another, and he'd keep greeting, and then you'd run out, change costumes, and then just like keep uh, keep a cycle going, and, and then they, then you could go up to the manager and be like, uh, "You think Milton that, over here you didn't think that, greet us one? You think?" That we can change costumes faster than someone can say hi to us. That's all right. You don't really want my gold mine idea? That's thing. fine. <laughs> I mean, if Katie's on board, I'll definitely give it a whirl. All right. But... Well, we'll tweet out to her and okay. see what she says. <laughs> I have no segue. I, I don't think we need a segue because guess what? We're talking about fucking Martin Scorsese today. After Hours, to be specific. Oh, shit. A movie you've never seen before. Nope. Immediate thoughts, reactions. Okay, number one thought. Fire that poster designer. I hate the poster for this movie. Uh, of like the, the head being wound like it's a stopwatch. Yeah, bad. It looks bad. It looks like... A very low rent '80s comedy, which this is an uh, '80s comedy. This is yeah, an '80s comedy. Yeah, but this, this is right mm. in there with like Night Shift and sure. st- Mr. Mom or other Michael Keaton comedies. Yeah. Uh, immediate thoughts. Um, I went into this with low expectations. I was. Feeling, Why is that? I don't know. I was. Uh, I, I've never been a huge uh, Scorsese fan. God, Jesus Christ! I, I, know, I know. I know. But um, I've never really watched his movies with a super critical eye either. Mm-hmm. So this is like the first time I came in thinking like, okay, this is going to be something. Everyone loves him. He's got something. I just need to like figure out what it is. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I just I just kind of got sucked in and it was like went along for the ride. It's a lot of fun. At first I was like, oh yeah, this is what I thought it was going to be. It's kind of dumb. But it didn't take long for me to just sort of get sucked into the fun of it, the weirdo absurdity of it all. Well, I, and I think I mentioned this last week at the end of the episode, but for me, this is like the anti-before sunrise movie. Okay. Because it's like before sunrise is like every romantic thing that happens to you, like in your pursuit to get laid. And I feel like this is like every shitty thing that happens to you late at night, uh-huh. like in your pursuit to get laid. Okay. Just like compounding like one terrible night. Yeah, yeah. It's like we've all had nights where it's like we thought we were going to get laid, but then the person turned out to be crazy. And then you still tried to make it happen, but they were too crazy. 
And then you couldn't get away. And then you couldn't get away. <laughs> uh-huh. yeah. You're like, how do I get out of this? Yeah. Okay, so full disclosure, I've seen this movie twice before. Both times I was like borderline blackout drunk. Oh, no. Like, I've never seen this movie sober, and that trend continues unabated. All right. <laughs> uh, I definitely got very stoned and very drunk to watch it this time. Okay. Because I just feel like that's the right mood to watch after hours. Sure, yeah. Like, the first time I watched it, I just happened to be really drunk. The second time I was really drunk, I was like, you know what's a really good drunk movie? After Hours. <laughs> so, yes, l- little drunk, little stone. My thoughts on it might be a little fuzzy. But the way that Martin Scorsese edits it, or, or maybe it was Thelma Schoonmacher it is. who edited it, yeah. uh, it's like, especially like when Catherine O'Hara shows up, it's like, wait, how did he meet her? Oh, look at your arm. It's bleeding. Oh, great. I feel terrible. Look, why don't you come with me and uh, I'll get you a bandage. No, thank you. It's not that serious. No, I insist. All of a sudden, like, they're pals. And I'm like, oh, this is one of those things that happens at, like, 2.30 in the morning. Where it's like, there's, like, one shared experience between, like, you and another really drunk person. Yeah. And suddenly you're friends. Yeah, yeah. There, I can't tell you how many times when I lived up on 18th, how many times me and my roommate would just, like, meet random people after 2 a.m. That oh, we yeah. weren't even drinking with. Be like, what are you doing? Come to our house and then, yeah. like have a dance party. And sometimes they'd stay the night. Oh, yeah. And it's like, I've known you for 15 minutes yep. and I just invite you to my home and let you crash on my couch. Like, n- many times. No, that that's <laughs> like that was like a common occurrence like throughout my 20s. Yeah. And like, uh, especially my ex-boyfriend, he would like round up strays. Like the, the bars mean, would be letting out and he'd be like, oh, you're cute. Let's go to drinks at my place. Yeah. And just get as many people as possible. I've been on the other side of that coin, too. Just yeah. like been somebody has been like, hey, we're going to this person's house. You want to come? And I'm like, okay. oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't know anybody here. <laughs> but who cares? Yeah. Yeah. I have very, I don't want to say vivid memories, but I have brownout memories of getting to someone's place and be like, whose place is this? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> who do i know here why am i still drinking yeah who put this drink in my hand yeah no definitely same here and there's something about the editing of this movie that kind of captures that like i feel like when he bounces from like female protagonist to female protagonist there is like that little element of like how did they meet mm-hmm. wait, wait wait how are they introduced definitely yeah and for me, it's particularly apparent with Catherine O'Hara because, like, that's like later on in the night, yeah. and it's like, oh, they just they met in a cab, and now they're palling around. Like, oh, he needs to use her phone because he's calling. I don't even remember who he's calling at that point, but like, he needs to use her phone to call somebody, and uh, she's like, I got a phone, and also let me like take care of your wound, mm-hmm. kind of thing. Which, by the way. One of my laugh out loud moments was when she's like, you know, getting ready to dress him up and she sees some of the like plaster Paris stuff on about the like guy getting oh. pummeled and stuff. And then she pulls it off. Jesus, why does it hurt so much? Because it's infected. Let me get it Ow, off for just you. Just stop touching it. I want to get it off for stop you. Stop touching it. I know, I'll burn it off. No, you're not going to no. burn it off. Matches, lady. I just need matches. No, no I'm matches. I'm going to ask a neighbor. No, lady, no. My name is Gail. Her delivery of my name is Gail is just like kind of angry. They're like, my name's not lady. <laughs> Like, just completely missing the point. <laughs> I also think that like that is really the first time we find out her name. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Is when she's, like, yelling it at us <laughs> like we should already know it. Yeah. I don't know if we've heaped enough praise onto Catherine O'Hare on this podcast yet. I oh, mean, my God. We had her on Beetlejuice, and we gave her some love there, but, like, ah, she's just magic. I mean, this movie's from the early 80s, mm-hmm. and it's like she's been casting magic on the screen for, like, almost 40 years now. <sighs> 
Uh, she did a voice in Rock and Roll. That's right. Uh, she's she was in After Hours. She's in Beetlejuice. She's having a Renaissance in uh, Shit's Creek. Creek. Oh God! Uh, and it's it's sort of nice to see her finally kind of get the recognition. I mean, Catherine O'Hara has been one of those actresses that's like always been there in my book. You know, we talked about this on Beetlejuice. How this is a movie that I watched on repeat as a child. Like, Beetlejuice came out in 88. I was three years old. Yeah. You know, Home Alone came... Like, I was the target age for Home Alone. Yeah. And she's always been there. And, like, she was there before me. She'll probably be here after me. It's just really satisfying to see that, like, someone, like, 35-plus years of, like, working in the business is finally kind of getting the credit that they deserve. And she's got, like, everything you need. She's a strong actress. She's got a unique voice, a unique face. She can convey humor, which is hard, we've talked about, but she can also do pathos if she needs to. And it's just, like, she's got the goods. Yeah. I mean, you talk about it in Beetlejuice where it's, like, her face was emoting something different than her body during like the uh the Deo scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she really has that like control of like her body versus her face. Like she seems yeah. to be able to like autonomously control these different portions of her body. I mean another example is for your consideration when she after she gets the plastic surgery <laughs> and she's talking like this and her face is all like, constantly smiling. Like, I don't know. She's just She's magic. Yeah, no, she's good stuff. I'm gonna throw a little love to Terry Gar in this movie too. Oh my god, Terry Gar! Which we we talk about. How she's like her and Bill Murray were the best parts of Tootsie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she's really good in this. Oh yeah, I like when she has her little freak out about stuff. It was raining outside, and I invited you to come into my home. I didn't have to do that, now did I? Now, first of all, you're not stupid. Look, I have trouble figuring out the tax on checks. So what? I mean, eight percent is a bitch. So I make a few mistakes. So I make a few mistakes. So sorry. Oh, I wanted to ask you, have you ever done that? Like a slow night on the job, like handed someone their bill with just a note of like, <laughs> I hate this job. Please help me. No, but I have mouthed the people. Kill me. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Catherine O'Hara, of course, in Home Alone. Yeah. John so Hurt. is Joan Hurt. Yeah. They have one scene together in this movie. Oh, is it at the diner? Yeah, but it's like inaudible dialogue. Yeah, like it, that's it's right. as Griffin Dune is like looking out the window and he sees the two of them talking. But I was like, flash forward 11 years. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's funny. John Hurt, while we're on the topic, boy, get him confused with William Hurt all the time. Yeah, I can kind of see that. They kind of look alike. They have like similar acting styles, and their names are very similar. John Hurd, William Hurd. Yeah, I can kind of see that. Ugh, it confuses me. And then I guess like the third of, well, I I guess there's like four female protagonists. Oh, yeah, we haven't even talked about Rosanna Arquette. Oh, my God. Who, when she's like, I'm going to go take a shower real quick, and then she kind of like looks back at Gryffindor, and she's like, I feel like something incredible is really going to happen here. (laughs) I feel so... Excited, I don't know why. I feel it. <laughs> I'm glad you came. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to smoke a joint, there's a couple in there. Feel free. Oh fuck! <laughs> like this is that crazy good sex that you've read about. Yeah. In all your Henry Miller novels. <laughs> God. Okay. Yeah. Do women like Tropic of Cancer? Because when I was reading it, anytime I tell one of my lady friends I'm reading it, they're like, ew, ew. that novel was awful. <laughs> well, I, so I've, I've never read any Henry Miller stuff, but it's okay. like, I, while watching it this time, I was like, if I had to illustrate without dialogue someone's lonely, bored, and horny, <laughs> how would I do it? I'd be like, 
probably them channel surfing on his weird ass remote. Oh, I know. And then I'd probably cut to him alone in a dinerine tropic of cancer. <laughs> like, yeah. that illustrates, like, okay, he's bored, he's horny, and he has no one in his life. Mm. And Rosanna Arquette is at that diner, and she's a Henry Miller fan, uh. and it's just like... That's like a ding, ding, ding moment. Yeah. She's beautiful, too. Ah, she's so good she's looking like, in this oh, movie. Oh, she's great. And, like, yeah, she has enough. Like, there is a crazy element to her, but there's enough of a charm and, like, potential hot sex to her that you're just like, I would stick around, too, even though yeah. she's giving me some, like, scary vibes. <laughs> well, like, right away, like, there's a little, like, manic pixie dream girl almost okay. to her. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. She's also alone at the diner. She comes to you. Mm. And there's a camera angle in the diner scene that I really like where it's like she stands up and the camera's over her shoulder. Yeah. And it it elevates as she stands up and looks down on Griffin as it walks over to her. And I think that really illustrates like what it's like when you're trying to get someone's attention. Someone that like you're like, oh, that stranger over there is attractive i wish they would pay attention to me yeah it's like if they make eye contact with you or walk over to you there's that little like <gasps> moment yeah and i think that camera angle that like scorsese does like over Helps roseanne arquette's shoulder and like follows her over i'm like that really kind of captures that moment of like oh my god like there's a power imbalance of like this person has all the power. I have nothing. Yeah. Uh, I'm worthless. This person is everything to me because I'm drunk and alone and horny. Mm. That little camera angle lasts like a second and a half. Yeah. But it really illustrates the, the dynamic going on between those two at the moment. She sees right through that book. It's no shield for her. <laughs> she just like, she quotes it and she's like, put the book down. <laughs> <laughs> I really like, okay, two things about that scene. Number one, the lighting in that scene looks great. Like, mm. I don't know, like, Especially on Roseanne Arquette. Like, she's just lit beautifully. She looks... She just looks really good. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. They just light her. She's lit so lovingly. She just looks great. And, like, the the, really the, the makeup and hair, it, it's, yeah. it's one of those things where it's, like, it doesn't look like she has any makeup on or it doesn't look like she's done anything to her hair. It just... It looks like she just woke up this way. Yeah. It's... it's She's great. Also, that... The, uh, like... I don't know what you call it, coffee shop, diner, uh, mm-hmm. cashier, where she's like, he's being weird, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, did you, you recognize like... who it was? No. That's Rocco Sisto, who played uh, Rewind to episode 25 of the podcast. He was Professor Hess from The American Astronaut. That's right. You got it on the first try. For that, you get a kiss. Whoa. Can you believe it? I didn't realize that that guy had such a long-standing acting career. Yeah, and a dancer because he has that big dance sequence where he's like kicking all the sand in the American Astronaut. Uh-huh. And that you know, this movie was like 10, 15 years earlier, so. Oh, at the no. very Yeah, 15. Fifth, when did American Astronaut come out? Oh, maybe 20 actually. I was yeah. going to say 20 years yeah, I think. Yeah, maybe right. Yeah. But I he's like making weird motions in the background while they're talking before they even point it out. Yeah, 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 yeah. That happens again later when he's in Rosanna Arquette's bedroom and she like goes to take the shower and you see behind him like people fucking. Oh, yeah. But then like it doesn't show him seeing the people fucking until later. I saw that in the background. I was like, those people are having sex. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Because in the diner, she seems crazy, like manic pixie dream girl crazy. But like that's like the crazy that like guys gravitate towards. Sure. And even when he, like, meets up with her later, like, goes over to her place, I don't know if everyone knows this, but crazy people are fantastic in the sack. (laughs) So there's something about their self-loathing that just translates into 
Never mind. So her whole, I mean, her whole attitude is red flag. Like. <laughs> oh yeah, but it's like also like you know when you're wearing rose-colored glasses, red flags just look like flags. So they go back out. I don't remember quite why. She's having issues. Oh, because she tells that whole rape story. Oh yeah. He came in through there off the fire escape. He held a knife to my throat and said, "If I made any noise, he'd cut my tongue out." He tied me to the bed. He took his time. Six hours. And then she's like... Tell you the truth, I slept through most of it. Okay, so that happens a lot in this movie. Let's like, just uh, while we're here. That happens just earlier when... um, uh, What's his name? Main character? They say it, but it's not until like... 50 minutes in Parker or something or okay well, whatever. Uh, my phone's all the way over there oh god it's like three feet away Griffin Dune's the actor Griffin Dune uh, he's like giving her roommate a massage and oh, he's telling that like Linda burn... Fiorentino Florentino that sounds, right. that sounds right yeah um, of men in her... black fame among other things he's giving her a massage and he's telling her the story about being getting his tonsils out and they didn't have room in the like children's tonsil unit so they put her in a burn unit blah 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 and like he's doing this like push into an, a close-up of his face. Well, before they wheeled me in, this nurse gave me this, this blindfold to put on. And she told me never to take it off. But if I did, I'd have to do the operation all over again. <laughs> Normally, in a movie, it's signaling that this is an important emotional scene. Like, you really, we really need to be paying attention to what's going on. And it means nothing. It yeah. ends with her like falling asleep on him. It ends in a joke. I reached up to untie the blindfold. And I saw. That's how the rape scene is. Or the, where she's talking about the rape scene too. Where you're like, you just get this impression like, oh, this is a really like important scene. Like it's going to mean something. It's going to go somewhere. And it ends with her just being like, yeah, I was asleep for most of it. <laughs> And it's like, ah, oh, that just keeps happening in this movie where it's like, he, you think that like something deep and emotional is going to happen. And then it just like, at the end, it just gets undercut and it means nothing. Sure, 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 sure. Yeah, I mean, I, Martin Scorsese really directs the hell out of these just like dialogue heavy scenes. Yeah. The way that like he'll push in or like he does a lot of camera rotating around. Like there's a lot of camera movement in this. Sure. But it's done judiciously it's not like michael bay where it's like constantly moving or something like that but he does seem to use the camera really intentionally it's a very dynamic camera yeah especially like sweeping or or rotating cameras like it'll rotate around a focal point an awful lot in the movie okay yeah just you know he's getting to rosanna arquette's apartment and like he loses that twenty dollars yeah and it's like oh fuck that's like, I feel it. Like, <laughs> the way that it just, like, blows out the window. I'm like, oh, fuck. And, like, back then, cabs only took cash. Yeah. Uh, that cabbie, too, his stare down. Oh, yeah. Like, that is... That guy's got a very scary, intense stare. But then when you flash forward, like, 10 minutes, and you see a $20 bill paper mache into... One of the things, sculpture. You, like the way that it's sort of fleeting, is kind of thrilling to me. He's like, "Wait, wait, what the hell was that?" And but like he has to go. Yeah, it's like, oh, oh. why did you take it? Yeah, it's <laughs> like you can kind of feel like the anxiousness. Like he wants to take it, but he doesn't want to like ruin the, the sculpture. Okay, yeah. yeah, that makes sense. That anxiety, like, oh, I just I felt for him so much. I was like, 
I want to just grab the $20, but at the same time, I know that I shouldn't. Yeah. Also, it's like, it's probably not my $20, or maybe right. I just saw something. Like, it's not super clear. Yeah. There's, like, anxiety from seeing that 20 in there. You're like, what? What? On the subject of that statue, I love the scene after Cheech and Chong, of all people, sure. bought it, and he thinks that they stole it, so he yells at them, and they drop it, and he delivers it back to the sculptress, which is what they call her in this movie, which mm-hmm. I love. Like, but like when he's carrying the thing and he's got it, it's almost he's almost like piggybacking this like mm-hmm. kind of like man looking all creepy. But uh, the way he's carrying him and the way it's filmed, it looks like the statue's kind of moving funny. Do you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. it's just uh, it's this maybe like a minute of the movie of this of the way he's he's carrying it and the sculpture moving looks like the sculpture is crawling along. Yeah, I don't know if it means anything, but it just looks cool. Well, in that scene also to like play on your theme of like it's building to be important, but then just kind of releases into nothing. It's like, he thinks that, you know, Cheech oh. and Chong robbed uh, the sculptress's like loft, right. her like studio loft, whatever. And he gets up there and she's tied up and he's like, what are these guys sailors? Look at this work. So elaborate. Must have taken him hours. And then it comes out that it's just like a sex play thing. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I don't know. I sold that TV to him for $300. That TV, that little like nine inch TV, different times. That's also the time that we in- that were introduced to Horst. This the guy. Yeah. I'm Horst. Which he looks like he's down to fuck. I mean, <laughs> I, he's he he he's he's there to control you. I think that was the like supposed to be like the unsaid threat to our main character is like. Oh, she lured him here so he could discipline him. Yeah. That was rude of you before, Paul. You really ought to be ashamed of yourself. I am. I don't know. What could have come over me? Lack of discipline. I don't think Horse is above it either. I think Horse is like, okay, great. Oh, yeah. I'm ready to punish him. Yeah. No, no, no. I like That's definitely the read that I got <laughs> was that they were going to do some like Hardcore bisexual BDS on that night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he's safe. There is gay stuff in the movie. Oh my god! And I kind of <laughs> love it. Huh? Like, I mean, it's played for laughs. But I'm also on the it, boat that like I'm I'm cool with this. It's played for laughs, but it's also like because sometimes it is just funny. Like he goes back to the bar where like John Hurd's like the owner of the bartender. Yeah. And there's those two like leather daddies like making out and like twisting nipples yeah and i'm like you know what i've been to that bar oh sure like i've seen that irl yeah and like it is kind of funny but like even if it was like a gay bar like if i went into like the eagle at like 1 30 in the morning i'm like i just need a drink before going it's just home. you the bartender and two and th- leather daddies two guys, making out yeah it'd be kind of funny it's kind of funny <laughs> like, it'd be yeah. kind of funny yeah, yeah yeah but it's also kind of realistic like this area of new york at this time like it reads true and so there's nothing that says like degrading about it no i think it's more like a comment on john hurd's character as to like he doesn't even fucking acknowledge no he, he doesn't care i think he even knows them by their, their first names their money is as green as anyone else's yeah like, he pours it i think because i think he even says like one of those first names but like he pours their drink gives it to him they're like making out at at the bar mm-hmm. and he doesn't even look he's just like I've seen. I've seen that's a... true liberalism to me. <laughs> like that—that's tolerance, th- exactly the way he that our founding fathers meant it. <laughs> 
I like that the name of his bar is the Terminal Bar, by the way. Like, oh. I really think that, like, I would love to just, like, finish out my night at the Terminal. I think that yeah. just sounds good. I don't know. Yeah, he uh, when Griffin Dunn gets there initially, like, it's just, like, two people dancing, Terry Gars, like, I hate this job, and yeah. then John Hurd at the bar. But there's a way that, like, things kind of spiral out of control and, like, call back on one another, because it's, like... He has to go to John Hurd's apartment to, like, get the key for the register and, like, come back. But, like, when he gets distracted on the way back by Cheech and Chong, like, I, as, like, an audience member, forget that he was supposed to go back to the bar. And then when he goes to uh, What's-Her-Name's place, that's when he discovers that uh, What's-Her-Name, Marcy, has committed suicide. Oh, yeah. And it's, like, it's just, like, yeah, it always, like, just keeps compounding. And then at some point he realizes... While he's like looking at her corpse, like, fuck, I still have his keys. Yeah. So then he has to go back and he puts up all the like paper towels with dead body written on them yeah. to point to where she is. <laughs> yep. Like, uh, yep. so he can get these keys back to this guy who, yeah, it's like, it's always building. But like, you don't know that like she was married or dating this bartender. Yeah. And it's not until like he returns the keys and he gets that phone call and he's like, fuck, my girlfriend committed suicide. Yeah. It's my fault. Or wife, girlfriend, wife. I think. What was it? Wife. Okay. No, 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 it was girlfriend. It was girlfriend. Because yeah, her, like her it, husband lives in Turkey. Yeah. Right, but she that she also had a boyfriend, and that's like why he freaked out when he was like smoking weed. Yeah. Where he's just like, okay, you have a husband and a boyfriend. Like, now me, I'd be like, okay, let's get down to business but like i understand that, like some people be like okay fuck this situation yeah. like you're crazy you have a husband that you don't see and a boyfriend and i'm here for what reason yeah you won't let me kiss you every time i've tried to you just break down into tears so <laughs> yeah. it's like this fuck. but she's so pretty i sympathize like you look past no it. i get it it's like she sells it enough that you would believe that some horny dude mm-hmm. would keep going through this shit. And I feel like Griffin Dunn is sort of perfectly cast because, like, he's not bad looking, but you can also see how he might have trouble getting laid on a moment's notice. Okay. Yeah. And so it's like when the opportunity to get laid by someone as fun as Rosanna Arquette seems to just fall into your lap, she's quoting henry miller mm. and she seems just that right brand of crazy and she invited him over when he called yeah so like you're I, yeah i get it <laughs> yeah i thought it was interesting that rosanna arquette's apartment had like the remnants of posters being torn down but like they it's never explained why well because she used to live there because it was her husband who owned the place but that she hadn't been staying there that long like because, uh, you know, slightly problematic, like, was it Greg calls her? And she's like, yeah. oh, that little faggot. Oh, yeah, she says the F word. Greg called. Oh, how that little faggot find out I was staying here tonight? But, you know, I, this is one of those instances where I'm like, okay, this is obviously one of her friends. And, like, she doesn't mean it necessarily derisively. Right. Like, if someone said it nowadays, you'd be like, hate crime. <laughs> 82 83 someone says faggot like uh, yeah I'll, it's I'll shorthand more than anything yeah yeah she also seems to make it clear that it is one of her friends yeah and it's almost kind of funny because she's like oh he wants to whine to me about his latest boyfriend 
<laughs> friends like that are hard to deal with sometimes. Well, that's what friends are for. It's, I kind of, I don't know. I thought that was, I thought that was good writing. So this is an instance where, like, I feel like it's totally appropriate for the time. Yeah, and, place. and it's only once, so. I'll let it slide. And we get the two leather daddies making out in the bar later. So. I mean, there's lots of gay stuff because those aren't the only gay characters. Right. Oh, yeah, we yeah, get, yeah. We get that gay couple in uh, the bartender's apartment. Yeah, in John Hurd's apartment. Well, I wonder if this is our local friendly burglar. Did you get what you wanted or did we get back too soon and spoil your fun? You're not a, as much of a Seinfeld fan as I am, but uh, there's two gay characters that are like two gay bullies Okay. that are like that and they bully Kramer on a number of occasions. <laughs> okay, okay. Like they steal an armoire that he's trying to protect. Okay. And when he refuses to wear a red ribbon in the AIDS walk, they beat him up. Okay. This is America! I don't have to wear anything I don't want to wear! They remind me a lot of, of those characters. But at the same time, like it strikes me as real. Like these oh. would be the gay neighbors that you would have in whatever part of New York, like the meatpacking district that well, they're in. Well, it's like in. the gay, their gayness isn't even or important. Or Soho, they're in Soho, Yeah, I think. their gayness isn't even important. It's just like, this. you will run into people like this down there. Like, it, it's, they're obviously a couple, but they're not like, uh, Sally said this or anything like that. They're just like, you know they're gay, but their lines don't have anything to do with that. Yeah, and, but, and I think that's important. Like, when you're making a movie about like life in the big city. These are the types of people that you run into. And even with like the Cheech and Chong thing, how he immediately accuses them of robbery. Like I, as an audience member was like, Oh God, he's making the, the, the Latin people, the robbers, but then they aren't they are. <laughs> like they're playing on like my assumptions as to what they are. But then they are at the end. Cause they break into the, uh, <laughs> but so it, they have been stealing stuff all night. They they're the... But they weren't robbers in that specific, instance where right. he accuses them of yeah, robbery you're right that's correct they paid for both those things <laughs> yeah. but they are and i assume that they're the robbers who've been going around breaking into everybody's apartments it could be it's never verified but yeah I, one of the themes is like a robbers going around the neighborhood causing unrest i assumed but... it was them but um real fast one more gay per well almost gay person like there's a part near the end of the movie where like uh griffin dunn's just like had it he's being chased by a mob and blah blah blah, blah. and he just sees this person in the street and he's like, please, I need your help. Can you take me home? And the guy's like, okay. And then they get back. And oh, the guy's yeah. like, I, I, I really have to tell you something before we start. Uh, I have never done this with a man before. And I, I'm a little bit nervous. <laughs> it's so funny because you can tell that he's like excited and nervous and all those things. And then like Griffin Dunn's just like, I just need your phone. And then he starts explaining everything. And the guy's like, maybe you should just go home. Yeah. And he's like, I've been trying. <laughs> I don't know. We got we got a whole spectrum of like queer encounters in this movie, queer male encounters, and I, I I'll appreciate that. Sure. Yeah, I appreciate that because like like they might be caricatures, but they're not inaccurate. Uh, I'm gonna say, and it's playing off of like the whole movie is sort of like playing off, in my opinion, it's sort of playing off of yuppie fears mm. of the city. Oh yeah, that's a good take on because it, like he starts at his work and then he ends at his work. He's a word processor. Oh, God. You know, and like all the stuff that happens at night in New York City where you live, like it's all these fears that could come and like a lot of that is probably gay shit. So. I, I like that take. Yeah. It's like yeah. this is the city like unsheathed for lack of a better term. Like yeah. th this is what New York is like gloves off because, yeah, it largely takes place in Soho. And if you're just a work a day Manhattanite, mm -hmm. you're not going to see this part of the city. Yeah. So I uh, know. I like that, though. Especially um, in the 80s. It's probably really scary. So. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Question for you. Okay. 
Would you live in Linda Fiorentino slash Rosanna Arquette's loft apartment? Yes. Is that place not massive? Multi-bedroom? Just huge art space? Spacious loft? Oh, it looks great. I can't imagine that Linda's pulling in big bucks from her papier mache <laughs> sculptures. You didn't have to back then. Like That's how the whole 70s punk scene in New York became a thing. Because like, people worked for like 15 hours, 10 hours a week and could afford these shitty, shitty apartments. And then they just spent but, the rest like, of their time on art. What makes it shitty? Was there like no heat? Was there no stove? Like What made it shitty? No, I saw a stove, but uh, roaches, probably rats. I don't know. Was it? Was, was that the problem? Yeah, like 70s and 8. Well, I don't know. This is like early 80s or mid 80s. So it was maybe turning around. I don't know. I'm not a New York historian, but like probably still around that time where you could get a place like that super cheap. So. Well, because I remember in Annie Hall, Woody Allen complains that like his costs like 1200 a month or something. And like, I'm like, that's like 1978 money. Yeah. That's crazy. Uh, so I'm like, what are these like broke artists and God even knows what Roseanne Arquette does for a living. Yeah. Like, what are they doing to make rent in this? Well, the the ex-husband owned the, yeah, the place. His but, place. Yeah. But I'm just like, it's so big. By the way, did you notice that there's a moment when Rosanna Arquette says hello again? No. <laughs> I laughed so hard she like uh when is it it's like uh she comes in after oh it's after he comes over to her place and the papier mache artist has fallen asleep and, and she walks in she's like hello again i laughed so hard because i wanted him to just be like oh i thought you, you were, were dead, dead. <laughs> foreshadowing on the theme of like thinking that it's going to be a big deal and it's not mm-hmm. so it's like she goes to the pharmacy rosanna arquette does and he snoops. Yeah. And it's like, oh, second degree burn cream or whatever. And like she does something that like kind of moves her skirt back and he sees like something. And he's like, like, oh, my God, yeah. it looks like second degree burn marks on her inner thigh. Like, this is crazy. But then like she passes out and like he starts being a creeper and like pulls up her skirt a little bit. And it's just a tattoo. Yeah. And it's like, oh, that's harmless. Yeah. Like. She has no weird burn marks any place that he needs to be concerned about. Well, and like uh, her roommate, the sculptress, is uh, playing up all the stuff. Like, because there's that part where he's like, You have a great body. Yes. Not a lot of scars. It's true. Never occurred to me. I mean, some women I know are covered with them head to toe. Not me. Scars. So he, that's like planted the seed in his mind that like she's talking about uh, this girl I'm trying to hook up with. So. Yeah. But it leads to nothing. You know? yeah. 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 So like that plays into my theory that like this is all about yuppie fears. It's like your fears are unfounded. I like it. I like it a lot. Uh, but also like there's also an element of just like life is absurd. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like this movie is oh, so yeah. absurd. Uh, I had a lot of like uh, a single, not a single man. Uh What's the Coen Brothers movie? Uh, yeah, single. No, you, I mean, if you turn around, it's on my <laughs> shelf over there. Uh, a something man. Simple man. Like I can see Sleepaway Camp, so it's got to be. Yeah, a single man. Mm. A single man. 
No, that's the Tom Ford movie. <laughs> Which is also on the shelf over there. Uh, a serious man. A serious <laughs> man. <laughs> yeah, that's the one. Yeah, that's I got a, I got a lot of those vibes while watching this. Where it's just like, there's nothing he can do. Everything he does is gonna turn out bad. Like when he flushed the toilet. That's when I first started catching that on. It's when he like he's in the oh, bartender's Oh god, when he's in John Hurt's apartment. As soon as he puts the paper towels, he's like, don't flush that shit. Yeah, do I know, I know. Not it's the same way. And it's like the blue water yep. too. It's like oh, it's getting everywhere. everywhere. <laughs> I don't know. Like that was when I really caught on. Like he's never gonna. This is how the movie's <laughs> gonna be. Everything he does is gonna end up in like some kind of shit. Yeah. And actually, then it like, like I was already kind of like sucked in and having fun. But then I was like, oh, okay, let's see where this goes. Like let's just see all the shit he's gonna go through. Yeah. Yeah. And he does. But it's like the next morning when like he gets back to work. Mm-hmm. Like, none of it matters. No. Because it happened after hours. Well, right. It's like he, he broke out of that paper mache cocoon. And it's like he was reborn. Like, it, yeah. it's it's a new day. None of the shit that happened last night matters in the slightest, which sometimes that's the way late night goes. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. you'll be out. A bunch of shit will happen. You go to bed, you wake up, and it's just none of it mattered. Yeah. Like, none of it has any actual long-standing impact on your life. Hmm. I guess I took a little different point of view of the ending because the l- last couple lines are Cheech and Chong stealing the statue mm-hmm. and talking about art, and, like, one of them's like, Hey, man, is it worth taking this thing? What, are you crazy, man? This is art. Well, art sure is ugly, man. I know, man. I'd take a stereo any day. Yeah, what do you know, man? A stereo's a stereo. Art's forever. I kind of got the impression that, like, this evening that he's had is sort of art, whereas, like, his work is just, like, what a stereo is. Mm. Like, life is what happens when you're not at work was sort of, like, the idea I got from it. But if we're going to run with your absurdist themes, then, like, nothing matters. Like, oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. That, that isn't, that, like, the principle of, like, absurdism, that, like, in the long run, nothing matters. And that's kind of what I got. I was like, yeah, he, he he's coming to work covered with, what do you make paper mache out of? It's like, Newspaper and flower water? Yeah, something like that. He's all dusty and white, and he sits down at his desk. And, like, the implication I got was that, like, the night's over, that ends that chapter nothing about that night will ever come back to have repercussions on him yeah maybe yeah hmm. yeah i like that this movie's interpretable i've wanted to do a scorsese for a long long time but most of his movies there's so much to them coming into this i was like shit but then i saw the runtimes 90 minutes yeah 90 minute movie it's actually really fun like especially if you're just in the mood for some sort of absurdist humor i mean it is like minimal in like scope and ambition but like he does a lot with that like limited tool set definitely and because scorsese has so many movies that are so important to cinematic legacy maybe i'm just like feeling insecure but i was like maybe we're just not up to that weight class yet and i was like let's do one of his that's a little lighter weight yeah 
And I'm like, you know, After Hours is a great movie. It's not a big statement on cinema. It's not this opus. That's just I, that's just too much for a 45-minute podcast. <laughs> Before it gets too late, should we plug our junk, get the fuck out of here, or should I hear what's coming up next week? I think you should hear what's coming up next week. Let's do that route. Okay. I struggled a lot picking. Mm-hmm. I still am not 100% sure that this is the right choice. You're going to pull out your coin toss app and flip a coin? I thought about making this into a game show. Here's the thing. I wanted to just do a straightforward drama. I've got a lot of those on my list. Do you? I realized that... You're not I don't, a drama man. That's the though. thing. I'm not a straightforward drama man. All my yeah. dramas are like you're. You're a drama mean. They've. All, <laughs> uh, I know. I got a lot of slow motion ones, but like I'm. I've decided I'm going. I'm just gonna do it. We've talked about it on the podcast, but I want to do Schenectady, New York. Oh shit! Whoa! Talk about your heavy hitters. I know. I wanted to do something like a light drama, but. <laughs> There's no such so thing. So you decided to do the exact opposite. I know. <laughs> like now we're just going to This is like be- 2 hours 25 minutes of like meta like self-referential Charlie Kaufman insanity. Uh, I hope you're ready to get brainy. We're going to get brainy next week. Last time I saw this movie was when I was uh in Boston, which must have been 2008 or 9. Oh, perfect. I remember like blue poop. Yeah. 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 Or green. Maybe it was uh, teal. <laughs> There's a toilet in this movie. Let's just uh, get that out of the way. Yeah. Catherine Keener, right? Catherine and- Keener. Is this our first Catherine Keener movie? <sighs> might be. Might, might be. Might be. Yeah. Oh, shit. I'm a big fan. Big Me fan. Me too. She's such a sign of quality. Yeah. We've done Philip Seymour Hoffman, though, before. Right. Happiness. He, he was in happiness. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I haven't seen it in a long time, but like it really, it always reminds me of winter and um, this episode is going to come out in the first week of December. So mm-hmm. like, let's just, uh, let's get sad together. Now we can plug our junk and get the fuck out of here. Follow us on Twitter at X-Rated Movies. Follow us on Facebook at Rated X Movies. We've also got a website, xratedmovies.com. There's all our episodes there. Anything we've ever made, all of our junk, you can learn about us on our bios. Lots of shit. Just go there and explore. Please contact us at x.rated.moves at gmail.com. And call us at Matt's phone number, which is 20... Oh, oh, sorry, you don't want me to do that. Uh, uh, give us... Leave us a love. love. <laughs> Actually, give us five loves in the form of five stars on uh, Apple Podcasts or five units of quality on whatever unit of listening you're using wow well, i may not hire you as my bookkeeper <laughs> great so next week we're doing schenectady new york synecdoche new york schenectady. isn't schenectady like an actual city what did you say synecdoche not schenectady wow we're really gonna have to like nail this down before <laughs> next week <laughs> all right until next week someplace new york keep reaching for that rainbow mm-hmm.